The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities every week. Hello and welcome to the KM Community Podcast. I'm your host Oliver Kemp and I'll be bringing you the stories that matter at the heart of communities across the county. If you have a story you think needs to be told, just use the hashtag KM Community on social media or you can email me on okemp at thekmgroup.co.uk. This week, speculation surrounding the future of a Kent airport might finally be resolved. Manston Airport in Thanet used to be a hub for cargo and passenger flights until the business lost cash and was forced to close. Over the past few years, plans went from reopening the airport to developing the houses on the site to being a lorry park for Operation Brock and finally to reopening the airport again. Talk about a long story. Now the company who owns the land, River Oak Strategic Partnerships, are only months away from hearing the decision from central government as to whether Manston Airport can finally open once again. So, what benefits do the company believe the airport could bring to the area? To discuss this, I sat down with Tony Freudman, director at RSP and mastermind behind the rebirth of Manston. The KM Community Podcast. Thanks for being on the on the KM Community podcast tony um i think it's fair to say that manston airport has been a bit of a saga for the people of east kent <laughs> it's been a lot of speculation on what might happen to the site i do a politics podcast with our political editor and the word that we've often used is is saga that's what comes up can you shed a bit of light on 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 the mission of of rsp and kind of what you want to do with this area I think saga is probably a, a good way of describing it. Yes, in in terms of timing, just to remind your listeners, um, the airport closed in May 2014, which is almost six years ago now. And since then, River Oak have been battling to get control of it, to get the ownership of it, to get the planning and to get the right to reopen it. And we are now on the point we think of being able to do that because as i'm sure you know we're we're just now awaiting a decision from the minister on on the subject of the dco and which will will give us permission to do what we want to do yes because uh, for our listeners that don't know the under secretary nisrat ghani said that the decision when the development consent order has been delayed until may but um, am i right in thinking that those those delays are fairly normal process when it comes to development consent orders they've become so there were there were six other applications i think that also got delayed at the same time perhaps partly to do with the general election we're not really sure we were told that the decision was going to be delayed till the 18th of may we were sent more questions which had to be answered by the 31st of january they were all duly answered the answers have now gone up on the planning inspectorate's website we are waiting currently to find out whether there's going to be another round of consultation or whether the minister has enough information on which to base his or her decision again we're not quite sure which minister it is because um, Ms. Ghani left the government in the recent reshuffle and um, the identity of the deciding minister hasn't yet been announced. And uh, before before we decide to sit here and talk, I should let our listeners know that we're actually sat in, in a car. We're using it as a studio sat outside <laughs> Manston Airport's old terminal. Um, we, we drove up and down the runway and saw some of it. Um, and, and one of the things that you can see is some of the tarmac and some of the, the outlays for what was going to be Operation Brock. Now, that was another kind of attachment to this saga of conversations that have happened over the last few years. And, and uh, are we kind of, I mean, where are we now with Operation Brock? And we 
we've been told that that that's kind of the end of it now. Is there any any more conversations being had, or, or are we we right in thinking that we're now just waiting to hear about the DCO for the airport? Well, the the the, the official position is that the government, through the Department for Transport, has possession of the the runway and surrounding land until the end of this year for Operation Brock. At uh, the end of the year, it has to be handed back to us. We've had some discussions about perhaps a short extension, but we've made it clear that um, from our point of view, construction work will be starting in the year 2021 and that therefore um, there will be no question of parking lorries on Manston after the beginning of next year. Um, a lot of people have asked us whether Operation Brock has delayed us, and 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 to be truthful, it hasn't, because this year, um, from our side, is taken up with surveys, um, master planning, design, all the preliminaries that you have to do before a major construction project. So as long as we'll be ready to start work on site early next year, um, I can safely say Operation Brock has not been a, a problem for us. So, um, so pitch it to me then. So why does RSP and why do you believe that reopening Manson Airport would be a, a good thing for the area, a good thing for Thanet? Um, well, the, the first thing to say is that it is a viable project. Um, the, the reason that we and our investors and our long-term investors um, are so keen on it is that because it, it, it plugs a gap in the UK's cargo capacity, the problem for the south of England is that there is very little cargo capacity at any of the major airports. And when I talk about cargo capacity, I mean freighters, aircraft that carry no passengers and just carry freight. There's a lot of evidence that both inbound and outbound traffic for the UK is using northern European airports and trucking stuff in and out of the UK, either using ferries or the Channel Tunnel. And there's also evidence that that produces inefficiencies and delays and extra cost for customers and for businesses. So what we say is here is a runway which is in existence. It's a 2,800 meter runway. It can take big freighters and for a relatively low number of movements, it can produce tonnages or handle tonnages of anything up to 500,000, even 700,000, which can make a huge impact for the UK, on the UK economy. But turning to the local economy can also make a huge impact because airports are very labor intensive. Airports require a whole range of skills. And we are forecasting that for Manston, we will be hiring 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 people. That will make a real difference to prospects locally and have a big impact on the economy to the extent that a key part of our plan is to create a training and education facility on or close to the airport because if we don't produce the skills necessary to provide the resources the the personnel to staff the airport we will have a problem so there is a, a sound commercial reason for this and um, we believe that um, this airport through training, recruitment and employment can transform the, the, um, the economic prospects of the area. But underpinning it all 
is a very, very rigorous analysis of the demand. If there were no demand for freight and for cargo, this wouldn't work. We say that there is a demand. And the final point on this is to say that we will be investing in significant amounts of infrastructure, which none of the airport's previous owners ever did. And it's the investment in the infrastructure which will enable us to achieve the levels of traffic and business that we expect. And, of course, it's the level of traffic that we expect which will enable our long-term investors to get uh, a return on their long-term investment. Because we, uh, we, we drove up and down and, and had a look at the, at the site earlier this morning, and uh, one of the things you showed me was that, that there was a significant lack of hangar bays and spaces. So part of that, part of that infrastructure is presumably to be so there is a bigger capacity, so you're able to have more, more cargo planes in, in at any one time, and you're able to turn those round quicker. Yes, exactly. And and I think, uh, I mean, it's a shame, actually, that more people haven't seen the airfield for themselves because, you know, it's got this huge runway and almost nothing else. So you've got bits and pieces of concrete all over the place. Most of them are not regulatory, regulatorily compliant anymore because they're the wrong gradients and they're not connected to parking stands that air, uh, aircraft can use. And so it just doesn't work. It's like having a, a nice hotel where you've got 50 bedrooms, but only three bedrooms can be used. It just doesn't work. So all that's got to be done, and that's really expensive. You know, the, uh, this is in the public domain. Current estimates are that we're talking of probably an initial investment of around 300 million, which will involve a huge amount of construction work, which again will involve more jobs. And the, the brief that we have been giving to the big construction companies that have been bidding for this work is that they must hire as much local labor as possible. They're committed to that, and it'll be our job to make sure that happens. Mm. And uh, we, we talk in talking about cargo flights and, and uh, big freight freight airplanes, uh, but also, and I think this is something that a lot of people will be interested in hearing about, is, is the passenger side of things, passenger flights, because that was something that, that Manston Airport historically did offer before before it yes. first closed down. It's it's not generally known really that there was a point in time when Manston um, was was carrying as many passengers as Gatwick, if you go back far enough in the early days of of holiday package travel and so on and we're, we're we're keen to pick up on that but it has to work and in simple terms it means that you have to have business going through your passenger terminal all day from six in the morning until 11 in the evening we we believe we can achieve that by having um, a low-cost carrier like Ryanair possibly EasyJet into the uh, terminal. We've had some preliminary discussions. Their problem, um, as is generally known, is that they they are limited in the available slots they have out of um, Stansted, Luton and Gatwick. They have to get their aircraft into the air before seven o'clock in the morning. That's why they've, they, they're both using South End Airport now and why we believe that they will come here. So the idea is that we will have two or three or maybe four low-cost carrier aircraft based here that will fly in and out of here from 6 o'clock in the morning, the last one returning by 11 o'clock in the evening, and that we will reinstate the KLM double daily service, as it's called, which provides a link to um, Schiphol to Amsterdam Airport, and perhaps some, some charter flights as well, like, like in the old days. And, and if you take all that together... 
Um, it equates to about a million or a million and a half passengers, which is a, a nice business for us. It provides um, a much-needed facility for people living in East Kent who otherwise have to travel to Gatwick or Stansted or further afield, and we think we can make that work. Mm. And there, was there even talk of, of further international flights, more long-haul uh, potentials as well? Yes. Um, it's no secret that the Chinese market is bringing more and more um, inbound tourists into the UK and finding suitable airports in the southeast of England with runways long enough to accommodate the kind of wide-bodied planes they they use um, is proving difficult for them. So there will be a decision for us when it comes to uh, designing the passenger terminal as to whether we take that kind of business, if it's if there's enough of it. There's also a secondary point, which has to do with um, cruise passengers out of Dover. Um, many of your listeners will have seen the Virgin ship that was at Dover last week, the, the, the new one that's just being launched. Um, Dover are very keen for um, passengers, for cruise liners operating out of Dover to be able to fly into Manston because currently to join the ship at Dover is difficult. You, 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 you would have to fly either into Gatwick or into Heathrow and the, the journey is not easy. Um, and that's another conversation. So if those two elements come together and those would be wide-bodied aircraft, then we would probably need a larger passenger terminal um, to deal with the numbers. That's still to be decided, but it's, a, it's an exciting potential. I think it's a bit interesting to, to, to think about what this whole site could have theoretically been a year ago. So obviously we, we reported it ourselves that, that there was, uh, River Oak purchased the land back for 16.5 million from Stonehill Park, which was a, another development, which was going to be a mixed development scheme. And we were talking about houses, the potential for a, a big train station. Um, I know when, when we were walking along the runway, we were nearly getting blown away in the wind. And you said that this is one of the reasons perhaps that that, that development wouldn't have worked. I mean, what were your thoughts on, on, on the, the original suggestion that that's what this site would become we we felt it was just not viable for housing ever our investors are people who have invested in housing in the past they understand housing and i have a colleague um, on our board who also understands housing and their their collective view is this will never work it's partly to do with the the level of prices in this part of East Kent. It's partly to do with the fact that it seemed to us always that there were plenty of us other sites suitable for development for housing. And partly, as you say, airports, by their definition, are wind-blown, bleak places, which is why they were selected as airports in the first place. And when you stand on our runway, as you've done today, even on a, on a, a, a summer's day, there's always a breeze. And suitability for housing we question it's 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 not close to any particular center of population so you'd have to create a lot of new facilities there and the final point is that it sits on top of an aquifer we which which provides drinking water for 70 percent of the population of sanit we've been told by the environment agency that there will be restrictions on what we can do here but if you think of 
I don't know how many houses there were, but let's say there are 10,000 people on top of an aquifer producing all the waste associated with human activity. That's the kind of scary scenario that um, certainly the, the Environment Agency were not keen on. So if you, if you roll all that together, the conclusion you come to is this is never, ever going to work as, for housing. We talked briefly about getting the local economy boosted, which is something that, that the plans in, in Manston could feasibly do. Um, as part of the development consent order process, you've had to go out to the community and speak to them a lot about this this entire project. What's been some of the feedback, good and bad, that you've had from the idea of Manston reopening as an airport again? Well, th- there's a lot of sentimental support for Manston, you know, th- th- which is which I find still quite touching. You know, people come up and talk to me and say, "My dad worked there, my mum worked there, my aunt worked there, my uncle worked there." Generations of people have worked at at, at Manston. That's part of it, and and a kind of pride in what there was here. I think also there's a sense locally, you know, that the that the cross-channel ferries have gone. If you go back further, the coal mines have gone. Um, and although um, at Discovery Park, the, the residue of Pfizer is beginning to make a comeback, Pfizer has gone. And somehow, you know, the departure of the airport, it's yet another loss for the area. So you, you get that on the, on, the, on the plus side. And you do get a lot of people saying, you know, we, we, we like the idea of jobs. We like the idea of economic regeneration. Now, you on the other side, there are people mainly in central Ramsgate who believe, we, we say wrongly, that, that there's going to be so much noise from this airport that um, their lives are going to be ruined and that tourism um, into central Ramsgate will be seriously damaged. We think the opposite. Um, we, we, we think... We hope that there'll be no more than two movements an hour over Ramsgate, but even if it's a bit more, it still won't be more than four or five an hour. Um, These are relatively quiet aircraft, um, and the upside, and we were talking a a while ago about Ryanair and passenger traffic, if there are, let's say, roughly a million low-cost carrier passengers, current statistics show that of those probably 20 to 25% will be inbound. So that represents perhaps two, two, 250,000-ish visitors to the area. Not all of them will stay here. Some of them will go to Canterbury. Some of them will go to London. But some will come and stay in Margate and in Ramsgate and in Broadstairs and in the area generally. And we think that bringing international tourism to the area will be a benefit, you know. So, And then if you add to that the jobs... And, you know, every, everyone knows that this area doesn't do very well when it comes to that. You've, all the indicators show that employment, unemployment levels are higher than anywhere else. Wage levels are lower and so on and so on. Airports typically pay higher wages than uh, the average. And that, why is that? Because um, the last thing you want as an airport owner is to have a, a churn, a turnover in staff. You want people to stay with you because they have to pass security and so on. So you want um, a loyal staff that stays with you for a long time, people who get rewarded, who get trained, who can move up the uh, the ladder of success. And all of these things are, are, are plus factors. And, and then the final thing is you give school leavers here an opportunity to think about a career locally rather than having to leave the area and, 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 and go elsewhere. When you talk about four or five an hour, <coughs> um, 
is was that is, when you're talking about going for sort of four or five an hour planes over Ramsgate? Are you talking is is that twenty four hours a day, or, or is that would those hours vary? The 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 basic operating hours will be from six in the morning till eleven at night, and even between six and seven, the, these are. Um, departures for passenger planes. Passenger planes are quieter than cargo planes. And the reason we need departures between six and seven in the morning is because people like Ryanair lose an hour as soon as they cross into Europe. So they, they, they need that time. As far as the, the, the nighttime flights are concerned, there will be a 2300 hours, 11 p.m. curfew. And the only exception to that will be late arrivals. So if you have a Ryanair plane that's held up at Tenerife, let's say, because there's a problem there, and it's full of people coming home, you've got to be able to say, yes, of course, you can land late. Um, it's an exception, and we, we, we will permit that. But generally speaking, there will be no um, departures at night, and there won't be any scheduled flights at night, no. And... and um, it, doesn't, it seems to me it doesn't matter how often we say that, there are people out there who choose not to listen and not to believe it. And the reality is you have no secrets to an airport. Uh, if there's a restriction on, on uh, nighttime departures and, and um, we, we start allowing aircraft to take off in the middle of the night, I think there'll be people in Ramsgate who will notice that and will report us to the authorities. You know, it, it's not as if you can get away with it. Yeah, I'm sure that secret won't last too long. Exactly. <laughs> um, another thing I noticed, and, and you mentioned when we were driving around the site, was um, the potential for e executive travel to, to come back into the air. Can you explain that a little bit to us? Yes. Um, and and uh, I preface this by saying we, we, we understand that there are, in, in, in certain quarters, sensitivities about this and about the green credentials of, of executive jet flying. But there is a demand for... Um, for executive jet travel, mainly focused on the London area. And there is a case for creating a facility at Manston for these jets to fly in. And the, I, I should say they're very quiet, of course, the jets, to fly in here and then for their owners or occupants to be helicoptered up to London. Um, we haven't made a final decision on that. We've, we've been approached. There are opportunities for this area and um, you know, if if it, if there is an opportunity, we'll consult and we'll make a decision. But that could happen. I should also say that that will be combined with the reinstatement of the Flying School, which was part of Manston's heritage and which we are keen to reinstate. Um, it'll take a while to get that done, but we would like it to come back. And one of the reasons we're able to do that is because as a cargo airport, we will have far fewer movements than a passenger airport would have, and that means you can accommodate um, uh, light aircraft and general aviation flying. And what, one of the things, that I, and I feel like it's something that we, uh, you, you touched on just there in your, in your answer, is the green, it's the carbon emission side of things. Because people will say, uh, and people have said to me that um, you know airports uh, do pollute are adding to the pollution of the atmosphere. It's something that we're trying to think about all the time. Um, I mean, what what is RSP doing to to ensure that 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 is thought about as much as building an airport and and injecting the local economy? Um, a number of things, really. Uh, the first thing to say is that as far as the airport operations are concerned, we will be making sure that all the vehicles on the airfield 
insofar as it's technically feasible, are electrically operated. We will make the maximum use of solar energy so that buildings will have solar panels on them and we will take in um, electricity from solar farms nearby. That's an important first step for us. Um, for the larger vehicles, we will be looking, we, we, we discussed this with Kent County Council two days ago, at um, vehicles that use um, sources of power other than diesel, because there will be some um, vehicle movements connected with um, aviation fuel, uh, Bowsers and so on, which are too large at the moment for electrical um, operation. Um, but beyond that, um, it's a case of first of all um doing what we can to mitigate the impact and and uh, as you know we've we've made a a modest start by contributing to some tree planting elsewhere in sanit we're very keen to continue doing that um we are currently looking to see what we can do on the northern grass which is part of the airfield and there's a remoter part of the northern grass which we think would be suited to the creation of some new woodland facility if that can work, then we'd be delighted to support it. And looking generally at what we can do around the airfield um, in terms of um, tree planting. Now, there's a limit to what you can do. You can't have a, a tree-lined uh, runway, unfortunately. But we will do what we can. And I, I think the important point for people to realise is that long-term investors in airports infrastructure investors are just as keen as environmentalists to make sure that those airports are as carbon neutral as is possible and as quickly as possible and you know we share those aspirations okay there are some people who would probably rather not have an, an, an airport at all and would rather have it that all airports are closed and that, that there are no more airports i think our answer to that is that our airport and the traffic in our airport is primarily about trade. Uh, you know, the stat is that 49% of the UK's trade by value is carried by air. The UK is a trading country. Post-Brexit, we have to trade. And the contribution that air cargo will make from this airport will be of major significance. We will do everything we can to mitigate it, but to try and stop it, we think, would be a retrograde step. It sounds like a very difficult situation that people like yourselves are in who have got these large scale infrastructure projects because there is such a push to be carbon neutral and there is a push to mitigate and, and try and stop the increased pollution of the atmosphere. But at the same time, you you want to be able to increase trade. So it sort of feels like a little bit of a trade off in some ways where there is going to be a slightly increased pollution. Um, but the other side of it is that there's going to be hopefully a, a boost to the economy and you are hopefully doing things in the community that... That, that also offset some of that. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think in fairness to manufacturers and airlines, they're doing everything they can to reduce the impact of, of um, aircraft. Um, the, the newest breed of aircraft um, are much more fuel efficient. The fuel efficiency in, in, in turn results in um, less pollution. We're fortunate here in that our airspace is much less cluttered than airspace in other parts of the London system. So it does mean that the, the chances of aircraft coming to Manston and being put in a holding pattern and flying around for an hour and burning fuel and so on, but that is much less likely here than at, at Heathrow or at Gatwick or at some of the other airports. I'm not saying that's the answer to everything, but it's a, it's a small gain. 
and just lastly, do we do we have any kind of obviously once the once the approval has potentially happened in May, do we have some kind of timeline? Because it feels like it feels like this project's huge and there's so much you've got to do. You're talking about demolishing the uh, the current uh, passenger terminal, rebuilding it, all these things, and the retarmacking. The, the, there's so much going on. Do, have you do you have time frames in mind? Oh, we do. We <laughs> we, we have a timetable. Uh, we. We expect construction work to start in the first quarter of 2021. Um, at the same time, the airspace change process will be into its second year. This is about um, getting approval from the CAA for Manston to have its own airspace. Um, and at the same time, the aerodrome certification process with the CAA will have started. This has to do with um, managing the airfield on the ground, everything from firefighting to air traffic control to all that kind of stuff. All that has to happen. So those three strands will continue through to the end of the, the calendar year 2022. And we expect that we'll be in a position to be open for business and taking the first business in about the end of the first quarter of 2023. That's how it's panning out at the moment. Um, by which time our investors will have spent probably the princely sum of £350 million on this project. And um, by, by the time we open, we think there will probably will be already about a thousand people working on the airport with prospects of growth. So that's, that's the timetable. Now, I know things can slip, and I know, as you said at the beginning, this is a saga, um, and maybe we're entering the last phase of it, but... Um, once the DCO has been granted, we have control over the timetable. The timetable is in our hands. The DCO gives us permission to do what we want to do, um, and we will be able to get ahead and do it. And you're confident that that's going to go through? Yes, yes, I, I, I am, because we own the site, so we're, not, we're no longer asking the Secretary of State to take someone else's land from them and give it to us. And we believe that everything we've asked for is in line with national planning policy guidelines. It is an airport. It's been an airport in the old local plan. It's been an airport for a century. Um, so we see no reason at all why we should be turned down. Tony, thank you very much. The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities every week.